Well, happy Sunday. Um, I am dressed a little more casual than what I normally would be because I wanted you guys to see my new shoes. I feel like you saw them when you were outside in the parking lot, like you saw them before you even came in. Um, the reason I bought these shoes was because I wear this shirt pretty often, for obvious reasons. It's like I go here or something. So I wear this shirt pretty often, and uh, I wanted some shoes that like fit the vibe, right? Like usually it's this shirt with some yoga pants, and the shoes that I had, like they just didn't, it wasn't right. Like it just didn't feel like the vibe. And so a few weeks ago, I had on what I'm now lovingly calling my uniform, the shirt, yoga pants, shoes. And I told Bill, I was like, I really want some yellow shoes that match this shirt. And he was like, that's a bit much. And I was like, I'm a bit much. So I need some shoes to match this shirt. Now, I have like other trainers, other casual shoes. I have like a pair that I wear to work out. I have a pair that I wear when I'm running errands in athleisure. Um, I have others that like I would wear with just jeans. You know, I have like other pairs of shoes, but none that were yellow. Like it needed to be yellow. So I say this to Bill, and I kid you not, two days later, Amazon was like, you should buy these shoes. And I was like, thank you, but also stop. Like who is listening? How do they know? Add to cart, and then they came to my house. Like it was scary, but very, very helpful of Amazon. Now, just for a second, I want you to imagine that you woke up tomorrow morning with a bank account that you didn't know existed. And in this bank account is all of the money you have ever wasted in your entire life. Those moments when Amazon was like, you need to buy these shoes. And you're like, yes, I do. And then you bought them. All of the things that you have consumed away, the amount of money that took that to happen. All of the things that you bad habited away. All of the money that you spent on things you didn't really need, but you bought anyway. The sum total of all of that money shows up in a bank account. Wow. But there's a catch. The catch is you have to give it away. Immediately or over time, you have to give that money away. Use it for the good of others. How fun would that be? How cool would that be? Like, what a difference we could make together. How interesting. Hold on to that thought. We're going to circle back to it in just a second. Today, we're in part five of our six-part collection called Best Practices. And this collection is just good advice. It's not necessarily moral or immoral, right or wrong, sin or not sin. It's not going to make you go to heaven or hell. Like, it's just best practices, just good, sound advice. Because we've all lived long enough to reap the benefits of good decisions that we've made. We've all lived long enough to develop really good habits, but we've also lived long enough to reap the consequences of the bad decisions we've made. And we've all lived long enough to develop some really questionable habits that if we were really being honest with ourselves, we wish weren't that way. Throughout this collection, we've offered up very unoriginal advice just best practices for living life. None of these things we're talking about are, are rules 
These are just ideas that sit between the rules to ensure that you have the help you need to not break the rules that have the potential to break you, your heart, or today, cause you to go broke. This advice sits between the rules, and it's not right versus wrong, legal versus illegal, moral versus immoral. It's in the realm of wisdom, just good, solid wisdom. And we've used this definition for wisdom throughout this collection, and you'll hear it one more time next week as we wrap it all up. But this is what we're talking about. Insights informed by the knowledge that life is connected. Today shapes tomorrow. One thing leads to another. The past shows up in the future. My unoriginal advice for today is going to sound very familiar. As soon as I say it, you're going to be like, we've heard this one before. But what we're going to do is have a little bit of fun dissecting and reflecting on what it means to live audaciously generous. Live audaciously generous. And if you've been at Village Heights for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about audacious generosity, like first five minutes, audacious generosity. Why isn't being generous enough? Why don't we say we're Christ-centered, community-crafted, and, and we're generous, like we're generous too? Honestly, I think it's because culture has watered down generosity. I think it's because we have, as a society, as a culture, as a human race, we have confused generosity with random acts of giving. We all know how to be generous in the moment. A need arises, you say yes, you're giving. It's a random act of giving. But audacious generosity, the kind of generosity we find in scripture is different. This type of generosity is life-giving. By the end of our time together today, if you will take the advice, just good, solid wisdom that I'm sharing, and you will put it into practice, I promise you, money in the bank promise, pun intended, because we're talking about money, you will give more, save more, and consume less. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to attempt to teach you how living an audaciously generous life is different from giving or being generous in the moment. It's truly a best practice. Somewhere during this message, I'm just telling you, if you haven't already, somewhere during this message, you will mentally push back. I am going to say something that's going to make you think, that's not me. I'm, I'm generous. Okay, that line of thinking is very similar to how we define ourselves as good people. If I were to ask you, how do you know that you're a good person? What would you do? You would immediately start citing instances when you have done good things. I helped. I supported. I always, I never I'm a good person. The same is true of generosity. If I were to ask you, how do you know you are generous? 
you would cite your most recent random acts of giving. I was asked and I gave, I added a tip, I purchased for them, I'm a generous person. And that's great, you probably are. Thank you for answering when random acts present themselves. But that's not audacious generosity. So over the next few minutes, we want to define what that looks like. So if we're going to define what that looks like, we first have to talk about what it isn't. Because I believe our confusion regarding generosity is fueled by four different myths. All right, so we're going to hit on the myths first. And I think a lot of these will resonate with you. They're, they're thoughts that you have already thought and things that come into practice pretty often in your life. So myth number one, generosity is spontaneous. Generosity is spontaneous. Giving spontaneously means you're spontaneous, not generous. Even greedy people give spontaneously when it serves their purposes. Spontaneous giving is often emotion-based. My experience is that you have to appeal to the emotions of non-generous people to get them to give. You might not know this, but I actually have a background in marketing and development, and I used to work for a nonprofit, and so pretty often I would put this into practice. I don't want to say it's manipulation, but it's a little bit manipulation. When there's, a, there's a principle in development that if you go to someone and you ask for money, they'll give you advice. But if you go to someone and you ask them for advice, they'll give you money. So whenever you're in the middle of a capital campaign for a nonprofit that you really believe in and you go to somebody and you say, hey, listen, this is what we're doing. I'd love to pick your brain about it. How do you think this should go? Where do you think we should put this room? And how do you think we should, who should we approach? Who can you connect us to? And usually they'll give you really good advice. And then on the other end of it, you go, wow, that's great. Thank you for telling me that. How do you think we should fund this? And who's going to turn that down? Be like, well, I don't know. Hopefully it works out. Good luck. No, usually they write a check on the spot because people who have the capacity to do that don't use Venmo for stuff like that. And usually when you can tap into someone's emotion, you can get them talking about the things that they know, the things that they love. That's great. None of this is bad. I'm not saying this is a bad way to give. I'm just saying it's a myth about being audaciously generous. Giving spontaneously based on emotion isn't a bad thing. It's just not the kind of generosity we're talking about today. Myth number two, generosity is regulated primarily by cash flow. Maybe you've said, I can't help right now. I don't have the capacity to. I know that this is the amount I will. I can't right now. You wanted to, but you weren't in a position to. What you had at the moment determined whether, whether you could give. People who live generous avoid this predicament. They're ready to give. They don't have to make the choice in the moment because they made the choice beforehand. We're going to get there. Hold on. Don't, I'm not going to preach a whole message right there. All right. Myth number three. The amount is what counts. This is absolutely 100% totally false. It is not about the amount. Generosity is not dependent on the amount because you can't understand dollars 
without understanding context. It's true of scripture. It's true of finances. It's true of most things in life. Context matters. Without context, we don't know what's a lot or what's a little. $1,000 to you might feel like a lot, but to somebody else in the room, that might be what they spent on dinner at the rodeo earlier this week. Like, we don't know because we don't have the context. Amounts are relative and don't determine generosity. Amounts require context to be understood correctly. Jesus actually addresses this myth specifically in scripture. So he's at the temple with the crew, like all the disciples are there, kind of near the front is what we can infer by this story. And so at the front of the temple, when you get up the steps and you're kind of at the top of the temple mount, inside the doors was a receptacle. It was a treasury so that as people were going in and out, they could drop their tithe into the bucket, the tank, the whatever. You know, it could have been canvas. Theologians have a lot of different opinions on it. But this is what happens. While Jesus and the guys are there, they're watching people go in and out, drop things in the bucket, keep moving along. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 21, verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. How did he know they were rich? Well, they probably looked rich. Like they probably dressed nicer than everybody else. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And in biblical times, these would have been referred to as mites. And they were tiny. Like they're the size of the money mattered then. It's not like now we're like a dime and a quarter and a nickel and a penny. Like the size doesn't make sense. Like the size mattered. So she has the two tiniest coins she can have, probably couldn't even see them between her fingers, and drops them in the receptacle, in the treasury. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. And some even think that what Jesus was actually saying is all the rest of them combined. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. Whatever they had left over, they gave just a little bit off the top. But she poor as she is, has given everything she has. And what we learn later in scripture is this is really a foretelling of what Jesus was going to do. The reason Jesus felt like he needed to point this out is because he knew, I'm about to really give everything and I need you guys to see the difference in what's happening. God is not impressed by amounts. God is moved by percentages. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. She was the most audaciously generous person at the temple that day because when it comes to generosity, the amount doesn't count. It's the percentage that counts. And myth number four, rich people are generous. No, they're not. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. Sometimes rich people are generous and sometimes generous people are rich, but those two are mutually exclusive. It's really cool when it happens both at the same time, but it doesn't necessarily correlate always. So what does audaciously generous living look like? If we know what it isn't, what is audacious generosity? 
And I know that money is an emotional and often sensitive topic. And if we're being honest, I've actually avoided preaching on this topic. Anytime it's come up, I'm like, this seems like a great one for Bill. <laughs> like, I don't want to do it because it just feels weird to get up here and tell you how to spend your money. So let me be very clear. This is not me. I get it from a book. Like, I'm just telling you what the book says. And I think it's a good idea because I've practiced it in my own life and I've seen it work. So I think you should. It's just good advice. It's just wisdom. It's just best practices. But I'm going to push hard on this today because I know how important this concept is to your faith journey, to you as a follower of Jesus. And full disclosure, truly, it's easier for me to put this into practice than it might be for you. Because this is something that I've done my entire life. There has never been a question that generosity was something that we just live out in the family I grew up in. And then as I got older and started to understand scripture on my own, then as I married, I'm a pastor and I married a pastor and how we raise our kids, this is just a natural part of our family. So I understand that for me, this might just be common sense. Like this might just be the best practice that's already in play. And for you, this might be a shift. So we're going to shift through it together. This is not new to me. So I am sharing from the knowledge I have gained through experience. I still remember writing the very first check in my checkbook, because that was very cool with a checkbook. I still remember my first job with my first bank account, getting my first paycheck, and writing my very first check to the church to pay my tithe. So that's what I'm saying. Like, this is just a part of who I've always been. So I've never had to, like, learn the lesson because it's just always been. So today, we're going to figure some of this out together. So for today's purposes, here is a definition of living audaciously generous. If you are living an audaciously generous life, that means it is the premeditated calculated, designated emancipation of financial assets. I've used a lot of very fun words in there, and they all kind of sounded the same. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack some of these words one at a time. The first word is premeditated. Generous people have a plan. They make a plan, a plan that lays out how they will be generous. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you don't have a plan, you will not and cannot live generously. Without a plan, you will confuse random acts of giving with generosity without ever actually being a generous person. You will never give as much as you actually can without a plan. In his book, Master Your Money, Ron Blue, if you don't know who he is, he is a financial wizard. Like you, in the financial world, everybody knows who Ron Blue is. Honestly, in the nonprofit world, everybody knows who he is because he has a trust and he writes checks and it's amazing whenever you are a nonprofit that is a recipient of one of those checks. And so he knows everything about money. And in his book, Master Your Money, he presents the idea that there are basically only five things you can do with money. Five things to do with money. And he says you can spend it, you can repay debt, you can pay taxes, you can save it, 
or you can give it. Those are the five things that you can do with your money. And what's so interesting to me looking at this list is that without a generosity plan, this is actually the order that most people give in. That this is the order, honestly, that we lay our lives out in, which amounts to, for being honest, me first, creditors second, government third, me fourth, others last. And really, if we're drilling down on it, the second one, that's also kind of for you too, because who put you in that debt? You put yourself in that debt buying things for you. So it's really me, me, the government, me, and then others. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you can't live like that. It's not the example we find in Scripture. If this is a reflection of you, you are not truly, fully, wholeheartedly following Jesus. The entire reason he came to the earth was to demonstrate what it looks like to live counterculturally in putting others first. Before anything else, others. How often do we read in scripture, the last shall be first. Even the son of man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for everybody. Outdo one another and showing honor. Like these are things in scripture. Do nothing with selfish ambition, but consider others more important. I think the most basic scripture that we all know, for God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. He gave. Putting others last is putting God last. Things are going just fine the way they are. They might be. But if you wait until a financial crisis to ask God to be first in your finances, it's too late. It's not too late. He'll still show up and show off. But truly, you could learn less lessons the hard way if you put God first now. You're treating him as a servant and not a savior when he's not first in your finances. Invite God into your finances now by putting him first to avoid learning the lesson the hard way. So we need a plan. Otherwise, we're consumers of culture, not followers of our king. That brings us to calculated, the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. Generous people predecide to give. They've already made it up in their mind. They have a plan, and they're going to stick to the plan. They don't wait to be asked. Asked. They don't wait to see what they have. Like, there's no amount of, like, let me open up my wallet and see. Here's a dollar. They've predecided an amount or percentage. A percentage is best because it rises and falls with your income, so it makes it a lot easier for you. Pick a percentage, set it aside, give it first. It's just waiting for you to put others first. When you've pre-decided, you have a plan, you work it out, it's all good to go, and you know that when money comes to you, you take the first part of it, whatever you've decided to do, and you set it aside, it's just waiting to put other people first. For me, for Bill, for our family, we just figure that when money comes to us, it's our honor 
to take what we've already decided and be generous with that. Jesus' words were seek first the kingdom of God. Financially giving is the most practical way to do that. It's the most practical, tangible way for you to show, God, you are first in every area of my life, including my finances, that I will seek you first before anything else. This is what it says in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But context matters. Context matters. Context matters. Context matters. Verse 33 says all these things. What are all these things? we got to go back to verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God is fully aware that you need to be clothed and fed. Like, he gets it. He knows that you need things to survive. So seek first the kingdom. Seek first God. And then everything else will be taken care of. That's heaven's economy. It doesn't make sense on paper. Let me assure you, if you try to like put it in a spreadsheet, it will not make sense. Somehow, when God is involved, it's his economy. It's his kingdom first. It just works out. No matter how much money you earn, having a plan, picking a percentage, choosing where it goes puts the joy in giving and puts more joy in living. It will impact everything else you do financially. Besides, we never miss the money that we give away. So we've looked at premeditated and we've looked at calculated. And the last word we want to look at today is designated. Designated. The premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of financial assets. Decide not just how much and how often, but where to give ahead of time. Don't wait to be asked. You decide. You are in charge of your finances. You decide what comes first and where it's going to go. Great. How do we decide? That's a good question. Thank you for asking. You give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. Give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. Ask yourself personally, as a couple, as a family, get your roommate involved. What am I grateful for? Choose an organization you get something from and are grateful for. If you and your family are thankful for the local church, you should be supporting the local church financially. If you are not grateful for the local church you regularly attend, you need to find a church that you're grateful for and support them financially. Everybody, whether you follow Christ or not, truly, I stand by this, whether you are a Christ follower or not, everybody, should support the local church financially because you don't want to live in a world without a local church. And I'm not just saying this church. I don't want to see a world without a Village Heights. But all local churches, you don't want to live in a world where there aren't people doing the things that the church is doing. So you should support the local church financially. 
and I recognize who I am and what I'm telling you to do, I recognize that I pastor a local church, and I am quite fond of this local church. But I can tell you with absolute certainty, Christ follower or not, the impact of the local church is one that you don't want to go away. In fact, I think this is a really cool idea. If you are to the point in your parenting journey, if you are an aunt or an uncle to like an older kid, if you're a grandparent and your kids go off to college and they find a local church in their college town, send that church money. I'm telling you, they need it. They will appreciate it. And you should be grateful for what they're doing. Taking your hellion of a child and giving them a faith journey, you should support them financially. If you have a plan and you've pre-decided a percentage, it's painless because you've already made up your mind. You didn't wait to be asked, what are you grateful for? Then, after that, choose an organization that addresses something that stirs or breaks your heart. Ask yourself, what breaks my heart? What am I grateful for? And then what am I passionate about? What really, really riles me up, gets me into tears? What breaks your heart? Is it foster care? Poverty? At-risk youth? You need to find an organization in that space and designate money to go there monthly. It's better to give a lot to a few places than a little bit to a lot of places. This connects your heart to giving. It connects your heart to audacious generosity. Because giving money, writing a check, sending it digitally, whatever it looks like is not what matters. What matters is the intention of your heart. So what are you grateful for? What breaks your heart? One of the reasons we do action groups is to expose you to the needs across our city. It's why we've helped fight human trafficking. Is that what breaks your heart? It's why we've supported those with intellectual disabilities. Is that what stirs you? It's why we've helped those experiencing homelessness. Does that break your heart? We've come alongside those who have experienced devastation from disasters. Is that where you feel like you can be a help? We've created space for refugees being resettled in our city. That should break your heart. Now we're meeting the most basic needs of children who are without food or clothes, if not for the wraparound services. Does that break your heart? That's why we jokingly tell you, like jokingly, but also not, like to ask people, do you like hungry kids? Who's going to say yes to that? Like what breaks your heart? That's where you should be giving. Saving is good. I am pro-saving. But what saving does is it prepares you to say yes to yourself. Generosity Living an audaciously generous life prepares you to say yes to what's important to you. Saving allows you to say yes to you. Generosity allows you to say yes to what's important to you. What breaks your heart, what are you grateful for? If you do this, 
you will make more thoughtful, intentional, strategic, and less emotional giving decisions. You'll feel better about saying no to every ask that comes along. Why? Because you've already decided where you're going to say yes. Generous people don't feel guilty saying no because they've already said yes in the areas that matter most. So this is why I think it's just a best practice, good wisdom. You've got to do it, but I think it's really good. It's worked for me. Why I think the simplest way to organize your financial life is to give, save, and live. Give first, save second, live on the rest. I promise you, this results in more joy than you can ever imagine. There are no words to explain the joy of giving. You will experience more peace because you've saved and you know that it's there. So when tough times come, they don't feel so tough because you've already saved. And then living on the rest gives you freedom. You get joy, you get peace, you get freedom over the emancipation of your financial assets. Imagine if you had been doing this all along. Imagine if that fake bank account full of all the money you wasted never even existed really in our imaginaries anyway. Because all along you had been living this way, giving, saving, living. Imagine how much money you could have given away responsibly to things you believe in and are passionate about. Do you know what happened to all the money you wasted? No, because you have nothing to show for it. In a few months, I assure you, these shoes will no longer be, I, I won't care about them anymore. I care about them now a little bit. I'm really bummed out that it's not like the right shade of yellow. That's, that's just, that's not part of the message. That was free. You don't have much or anything to show for the things that you've wasted. Culture wants you to consume Generosity calls you to give. How we manage our money is a key ingredient to how well we are following Jesus. Learn to be generous. It's what it means in some respects to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus put others first in giving everything without hesitation. That's what grateful passionate, and organized people do. I'm challenging you to begin living audaciously generous. Think of all you can do and the difference you can make. You have no idea what your giving capacity is until you have a plan. Generous people are the happiest people. And Paul quotes Jesus in Acts when he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul indicates this, he includes this in his letter because he needed the church to know you will be more blessed, you will have more joy, you will be happier if you look at your life as a string of opportunities to be a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. God wants to work through you in every area of life. He doesn't give you things so they can stay in a constant loop circling back to you. He gives you things to flow through you. 
for the good of others. Paul wasn't kidding. You'll be happier. You'll give more. You'll save more. You'll consume less. And you'll be happier. It's not giving to get. It's giving because you've been given to. That's the power of a plan and a percentage. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to seek his kingdom first, even in your finances. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to live another season of life. I don't want you to make it 10 years down the road and look back and wish, what if I would have, I wish I could have, I should have. So decide and plan today to live audaciously generous because it is the best practice. So I'm going to pray, but before I do, I want to leave you with this question. It's actually a series of questions. They all work together. And I want you to take this and let it marinate. Answer it on your own internally. Answer it with someone you love. Answer it as a family. Come this week to a village and answer it in a community of people that love you and believe in you. But this is what it is. What are you grateful for? What breaks your heart? And how does your plan to be generous reflect your response to those two questions? What are you grateful for? What breaks your heart? And how is your plan to be generous reflective of those responses? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we are overwhelmed by your goodness, overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by all that you do to challenge us to be better at following you. So God, today, even though this seems like a difficult subject, we know that this is you refining us into better followers. So God, show us the areas of our life where we can grow and we can change and we can be people who love you more, who follow you better, who do this life together for a purpose. So we love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.